Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Good morning. If you would turn to John chapter 11, we'll be there in just a a moment. Uh, We've been set in a context for this series every week by going to Ephesians 2. I'm not going to read all the verses uh, in this service, but in Ephesians 2, it lets us know that everybody's dead in trespasses and sin without faith in Christ. Uh, So you can take time and read through that passage later. The reason we are doing a series entitled Life Out of Death is because of people being spiritually dead. That's what we were before we received Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, regrettably, that's where you are uh, today. You're dead in trespasses and sin. But there's people all across the world that that's their condition. That's why we need to do things like Operation Christmas Child. We're going to have our packing Sunday uh, in a a couple of weeks coming up, about three weeks from today. Uh, So be praying about that. Be bringing items in because we want to make as large an impact as we can. I told you the first Sunday in this series last year, there were 2.2 million uh, children came to faith in Christ across the world because of Operation Christmas Child. That's a huge impact that we get the chance to be a part of. Uh, so that's why we're doing this type of uh, series. Uh, we started out in this series talking about life um, out of death by looking at uh, Elijah and how he stretched himself out across that boy uh, who had died. And I wanted to give you the image of us stretching ourselves out over across the children of this world uh, through the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. Last week, we talked about bringing dry bones to life uh, was our focus last week. And Ezekiel went out there and uh, kind of did something strange. God told him to preach to dry bones, uh, and he did that. And God told him to preach to the wind, uh, and he did that. And those uh, dry bones became alive. There are people all across the world that are like those dead, dry bones, and we need to reach out to them uh, with the gospel of Christ. Today, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about come forth, come forth. And we'll be in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He uh, tells him to come forth from the grave. And guys, I think that also gives us a picture of what we need to do through the gospel, through sharing the gospel, whether it be us personally sharing our faith or us supporting missionaries across the world or us doing things like Operation Christmas Child. We're giving an invitation for people to come forth and experience life out of death. I want you to notice five major themes, five major themes in this story that we're going to look at uh, today. Here's the first theme. theme. Theme number one is the consequences of man's fall into sin. The consequences of man's fall into sin. Because in this story about uh, Lazarus dying, we can see consequences of sin that, that other people experience uh, all across the world that the human race has experienced. So the first one was this. Lazarus was sick. He was ill. Uh, the Bible tells us that, verse 1 through 3, uh, it says three times in those three verses that he was ill. That wasn't God's original plan for mankind, but when man fell into sin, along with that, things like disease and illness uh, came in. So that's a consequence of sin, the fact that he was ill. 
There's another consequence of sin that we can see in this story, and that is the, the fear of the disciples. The disciples were really afraid, and here's why they were afraid. Jesus, after he finds out about Lazarus being sick, he eventually says, well, let's go down to Judea. And the disciples really didn't like that idea. Matter of fact, here's the verses, verse 7 through 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, uh, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You see, the fall in the sin, when mankind fell into sin, that also brought fear into our lives. I'll give you a picture of that. Adam, when he fell into sin, what did he do? He hid from God there in the garden because he was afraid. He had guilt hit in his life, and, and he was filled with fear. Well, the reason the disciples are filled with fear here is this. They're more or less saying this. Jesus, they just wanted to stone you in Judea. You're going to go back down there. You want us to go with you? They may stone you this time, and they may stone us with you. So they kind of had some fear. But Jesus responds in a way, I think, that lets us know that we shouldn't operate our lives based upon fear. Jesus said that if you are walking in the light, it's 12 hours in the day, if you're walking in the light, I think part of that is Jesus saying this, hey, you need to be about what you ought to do. You need to be about serving God when you can and when you won't stumble like in the darkness, we need to use the time that we have to serve God. But I think also in the response that Jesus gives the disciples, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, guys, I'm on the Father's schedule. I'm on the Father's agenda. They had never stoned Jesus before. If you'll read in the New Testament, you'll see several times people got upset at Jesus. They wanted to take him, and he would just kind of walk through their midst. I don't know if God allowed him to be almost like he was invisible or what, but they didn't grab him. They never stoned him, and here's why. God had a set time in history that Jesus would die. He had a set time that Jesus would go to the cross. He had an established time. And until it came that time, Jesus was perfectly safe. No stone was going to touch him. And he's letting the disciples know that. He's letting the disciples know, I'm on the Father's schedule. I'm on the Father's agenda. And I think Jesus might have been saying this. He was saying he was as sure of the sovereign will of the Father as he was that there's 12 hours in the day. There's 12 hours normally in, in what's considered the, the daytime of, uh, of a day. And he's saying, as sure as there's 12 hours in the day, I'm sure that I'm in the Father's sovereign authority. No one can touch me until the time comes. So they were fearful, and fear comes as a result of the consequence of sin too. Last consequence of sin we see in this sto story is this. Lazarus died. He died. And guys, death is clearly a consequence of sin. Let me give you an example of that. I talked about Adam a moment ago. God had warned Adam, had he not. He said, the day that you partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall die. And Satan comes along and said, oh, he's not really telling the truth. You're not going to die. But I believe he died spiritually the moment he partook of that fruit. I believe the aging process even set up in his body the day he partook of that fruit. But the reason I'm telling you that death is a consequence of sin, look at the lineage of Adam, and here's what you're going to see. And he died, and he died, and he died. Read that sometime in Genesis. 
If you want to see the impact of sin bringing death upon the human race, there's a long list there of his descendants, of his ancestors, and he died, he died, he died, he died. And Lazarus gives us a picture of this consequence of sin. Look at verse 7 through 14. After After saying these things, he said to them, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, they misunderstood what he was talking about. He said, but I'll go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Guys, while we may not like the consequence of sin, because of sin, mankind is under the sentence of both physical and spiritual death. And that's why we need to do everything we can do to share the gospel. Personally, by supporting missions through things like Operation Christmas Child, because of the consequences of sin. Now, the consequences of sin sound like a terrible thing, but I want you to see the second major theme in the story. It's an opportunity for Christ to be glorified. The very consequences of sin in the world is an opportunity for Christ to be glorified. The sickness and eventual death of Lazarus was for the purposes of God, that God the Father and God the Son would be glorified and that people would believe in Jesus. Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He said this illness does not lead to death. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he's not going to die. He is saying he's not going to stay dead. He said, here's the reason for it. Here's the purpose for it. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, guys, in this story, we're going to see this. Illness and death couldn't win. Illness and death cannot stand before Jesus. Jesus would both glorify himself and glorify the Father when he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's the reason for all this taking place, to where this terrible circumstance can bring glory to the Father and glory to the Son, and people believe in him when they see the miracle that's going to take place. Jesus also tells his disciples there's a purpose in his not being there to heal Lazarus before he died. Look at verse 16 or verse 15 and 16. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, let me talk about Thomas for a minute before I talk about the first part of that. Thomas gets a bad rap for being what? What, what is he called? Doubting Thomas. You know, we even call people, you're a doubting Thomas because of what happened. Well, while it may be true later on, he was doubting whether Jesus had took his life back from the dead because he wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples in the house. Look what he's willing to do here. <laughs> He's so devoted to Jesus, he said, well, guys, I guess we might as well go with him and die too. Maybe that speaks to the glory of Jesus himself. If someone's willing to die with him, that kind of shows how glorious Jesus must have been. But I want you to see the very first part of that. I want to deal with Thomas just for a moment, but look at the first part of it. He said, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there so that you may believe. 
This miracle, this scenario that's set in place by Lazarus becoming sick and dying, and Jesus, when he raises him from the dead, was in order that people would be convinced who Jesus is. It's in order that they would be convinced and believe. To emphasize the glory and the power of God, here's what Jesus does. He waits two days longer before he leaves to travel to Judea. Look at verse number six and seven. So then he heard that Lazarus was ill. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. He could have left right away, but he did not. Why? Because he wanted to be sure this was a situation that would be evident of the glory of God. Jesus could have made the trip in one day. If you look at a map, biblical maps, and you can figure out he could have walked there and made it in one day. But he hesitates and he waits on purpose. And when he arrives, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Why did he do that? I mean, if he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, why didn't he just rush right straight down there and do something about the sickness of Lazarus? Here's why. He waited to where it would be abundantly clear that Lazarus was dead. Four days dead in a tomb in Palestine. I'm telling you, you're pretty dead at that point. And you'll hear later in the story that, that when he's getting ready to raise him from the dead, she's even afraid, hey, he's going to stink, is what Martha says. Some people try and say, well, he didn't really die. You've got liberal theologians do all kinds of weird stuff. And that's how Jesus said it wasn't to death. He was just asleep. I'm going to go waken him. And he wasn't really dead. Well, if he wasn't really dead, his family must not have loved him very much if they wrapped him up, put him in a tomb, and rolled the stone in place. Amen? Would that make you feel like your family loved you, cared about you, if they decided to wrap you up and they took you and put you in a grave and buried you for four days? He was dead, guys. He was really dead. And Jesus wanted that to be abundantly clear before he goes in to do this miracle because through this miracle, it's going to bring glory to the Father and glory to himself and other people are going to believe. That being said, I think this gives us a picture of this also. The lostness of mankind, the the spiritual deadness of mankind is also an opportunity for Christ to be glorified. Jesus, in talking about his pen and arrest and crucifixion, said this later on in John 13, verse 31 through 32. When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus is saying through what was about to happen, through his arrest, through his mockery of a trial, through him being beaten, through him being nailed to the cross, through him being placed in a tomb, Jesus is saying all of that's going to be for the glory of the Father. Our world doesn't think like that. Our world thinks that's a picture of defeat. I'll tell you what I believe. I know Jesus is glorified when you see him walking around in Revelation with flaming eyes and things like that. I understand he's glorified then, but here's what I believe. I don't think he was ever any more in his glory than when he hung on the cross. When he in full obedience to the Father hung on the cross, 
shed his blood for our sins, and then on the third day, he took his life back up. He did that, folks, to bring clear glory to the Father, clear glory to himself. And all the lostness out there in the world is only this. It's what it is. It's an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified through the power of the gospel if we'll share the gospel with others. Through Operation Christmas, y'all, through your personal testimony, through supporting missions. Guys, we have an opportunity to glorify Jesus as we share with others. Third major theme I want you to see in this story is this, the personification and the promise of eternal life. The personification and the promise of eternal life. Look what Jesus, what happens here in the story and what Jesus says in verse 21 through 26. Martha, when she finds out Jesus has arrived, she runs out to meet him. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked an important question. He said, do you believe this? Jesus makes an I am statement here when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Most of you, a lot of you are probably familiar with the I am statements of Jesus. Anytime Jesus made an I am statement in the New Testament, it was really a claim of deity. It's in a similar form to when Moses asked God there at the burning bush and God was sending him to lead the children of Israel free. And Moses said, well, who shall I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am sent you. And then all through the New Testament, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, all the the statements that Jesus made, those are claims to deity when he makes an I am statement. Here, the claim to deity is this. He said, I'm the very resurrection power. I'm the very life of God. I'm the personification of the resurrection. I'm the personification of the very eternal life of God. And he says, whoever believes in me, he makes this great promise. He says, whoever believes in me, after he believes in me, even if he dies, he'll live again because of the resurrection. But Jesus is also saying this, everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never really die. Why? Because the moment you trust your Christ as your Savior, that's when you really die. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I died with Christ. And he says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, and he's the very promise of eternal life to those who believe. And guys, because that's true, that's why we need to share the gospel. People die, and people don't need to die lost, amen? They need to die with hope. They need to die with hope of the resurrection. They need to die with hope of eternal life, of everlasting life. And if someone trusts Christ as their Savior, they never, ever really die. 
Kenneth Ridens, uh, some of you, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but some of you may have heard of Kenneth Ridens before. He used to be the homiletics professor at uh, Fruitland Bible Institute. He is gone from this world now. He's not around. But Kenneth, I remember hearing him preach a sermon years and years ago, and here's what he said. He said, if you ever hear that Kenneth Ridens has died, he said, don't you believe it. And here's why he said that. He said, I've done all the dying I intend to do. I was crucified with Christ, and yet I'm alive. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. I've already died. I've already done all the dying I'm going to do the moment I trust Christ as my Savior. What happened for Kenneth and what happens for a child of God is when your time ends here, you just cross over. <laughs> you go to everlasting life. You don't really, really, really die. And that's the promise that Jesus has given here of eternal life. Can I ask you the same question that he asked Martha? He said, do you believe this? Do, do you believe it this morning? Do you believe that Jesus is the very personification of the resurrection power of God, that he's the very life of God? Do you really believe this morning that if you trust in him, even though you physically die, you will live forever? Do you believe this morning? Do you believe it to be true that if you trust in Jesus, you never, ever really die? Because the moment you trusted in him, you died with him when he died on the cross, and now you're alive with him. That's what the Bible teaches. Do you believe that? The fourth theme in this story I want you to see is this, the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 5 tells us this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I think that information is included there so someone wouldn't think, well, Jesus must not like them very much because he didn't leave right away to go help Lazarus out. No, he loved them. The Bible clearly says he loved them. The Bible also tells us this about the world. In John 3, 16, the first part of it, for God what? So loved the world. He loves the world. He wants to see them come to faith. He wants to see them saved and redeemed. Look at verse 32 through verse 37 and get another picture of the compassion of Jesus. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary kind of says the same thing that Martha said. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. You want to know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? It's right here. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And when Jesus was weeping, the Jews said, see how he loved him. Man, that's a tremendous picture, at least it is for me, of the compassion of God, of the compassion of Jesus, God in the flesh, the eternal creator, the one that spoke creation into existence. He weeps, he cries. Theologians will tell you there's probably several reasons why he was crying. One, he loved Lazarus and his family. Two, he might have been crying because of the ravages of sin upon mankind, that it had brought death, these types of consequences. Three, he might have been crying because people were still in disbelief, even that day. Even some of his own disciples and things were still in disbelief. But guys, he cries. He weeps out. And when he does, what he's doing is showing a strong inner emotion coming out. That, that's what crying does. That, that's what causes us to cry. 
Typically, we don't just all of a sudden cry unless there's something deep going on in here. <laughs> Jesus shows the deep emotion in his heart as he starts to cry, and his, he starts to weep. Weeping over the lostness of mankind. Weeping over the consequences of sin. Guys, we need to be a little bit more like Jesus here is all I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. We need to have the compassion of Jesus. We need to cry over lostness. We need to cry over a lost world. We need to cry over the condition of children across the world. We need to do what we can through Operation Christmas Child and any other means possible to try and reach them with the gospel. We need to cry in such a way that our tears convinces other people that we really care about them, that we're really concerned about the lostness of our world. The last theme I want you to see in this story about Lazarus and Jesus rising from the dead is this. I want you to see the sovereign authority of Jesus, the sovereign authority of Jesus. Look what I said in verse 38 down through verse number 44. Then Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. Or he's been dead four days. She was concerned it's going to be an embarrassment to her and the family. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, notice what Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He said it past tense, because the Father always heard him. Many times Jesus would go and spend all night in communion with the Father, praying to the Father. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So once again, there's another picture of the purpose that God had in, in the death of Lazarus. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The King James said, come forth. That's why I titled the, the message today, come forth. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with lemon strips, his, his, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You know what I see in that part of the story? Death cannot stand in the face of Jesus. Death is a defeated foe before Jesus. That's true whether you're talking about spiritual death or physical death. Jesus has authority over spiritual death. That's why he can save us. That's why he can redeem us out of our sins. He has power over physical death. He has total sovereign authority over death. Christ is almighty God, and he has a sovereign authority to command death to turn loose of those that's held in his grip. And he cries out with a loud voice, come out or come forth. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. Something maybe you don't think about and focus on there. I alluded to it a few moments ago. He had been in the tomb for four days in Palestine. Okay? A lot of corruption takes place. They didn't bomb like we have bombed today and things like that. Four days in a tomb in Palestine. There's a lot of corruption takes place. 
But you know what? When he came out of the grave, all the corruption was gone too. All of that was changed. All of that was transformed. He comes out because Jesus called him forth. I had never heard until I came across it this week that St. Augustine was the one that originally said this. I've, I've heard this quoted before, saying that someone had said, well, it was St. Augustine that said it. St. Augustine said this, Jesus had to call out Lazarus by name because if he hadn't, all the dead would have come out of their graves. If Jesus with total authority just said, come forth, everybody would have got up. But he caused Lazarus to come forth. And when he comes forth, since he's wrapped up, guys, I, I get the image of him kind of being like this, you know? That's why Jesus says, set him free. Remove all of that and set him free. Guys, we are bound up in our sins until we trust Jesus as our Savior. We have sin that binds up our hands, sins that blinds us. It's like a cloth over our face. But the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we're set free. And all of a sudden, we are fixed to where we can spiritually see because the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us. That's a picture of what we see taking place here with Lazarus. Because of the sovereign authority that Jesus had over death, Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death lost its sting. Death lost its authority because of Jesus when Jesus took his life back up on the other side of the cross. Jesus in sovereign authority can take away the stones from people's lives that are keeping them in bondage. Jesus in sovereign authority can call people to come forth from death unto life. Jesus in sovereign authority can set us free from the bondage of sin that's holding us back and keeping us from being able to, to see. Jesus won the victory through the cross and through his resurrection. Guys, that's what Jesus has done. He has total authority. He proved it at the cross. He proved it with his resurrection. That's why we need to be involved in bringing people from death to life. That's why we need to be involved in things like Operation Christmas Child. That's why we need to personally call people to come forth. Operation Christmas Child is an invitation to come forth. You personally sharing your testimony is an invitation to come forth. Us supporting missionaries and sending missionaries across the world, they're giving invitations to come forth, to come out of that death into spiritual life. The consequences of sin plunge mankind into spiritual and physical death. But the consequences of sin is simply an avenue for God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son to be glorified as they rescue people from death. We see a picture here of the compassion of Jesus, of the love of Jesus, of the power and the authority of Jesus. We see that Jesus is the very personification and promise of eternal life. And those who believe in him, even if they die, they shall live. And if they trust in him, they will never, ever really die because he's sovereign God. 
He has a sovereign authority over sin and death. Because that's true of Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done for us, we need to do everything we can through personal testimony, through supporting missions, through Operation Christmas Child. We need to do everything we can to invite people to experience life out of death. Let's pray. Father, first of all, this morning, if there's someone that's gathered here this morning that with us under the sound of my voice, that they don't really know Christ as their Savior, if they are still in bondage to spiritual death, Father, I pray right now that you speak to that person, you draw that person to you. Help them to understand that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Help them to understand if they believe in him, even though they die, they'll live forever. Help them understand if they really believe in him, they never really truly die because they died with Jesus on the cross by faith in what he did for them. Father, I also pray for the rest of us that already know Christ the Savior. God, I pray you'd give us more of a burden to share the gospel, more of a burden to support missions, more of a burden to do all we can this year through Operation Christmas Child. That more people around the world might make that step out of death into life. Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please stand. God speaks to you if you don't really know Christ as your Savior. If you've come to that conclusion in your life, I invite you to come today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not make that decision today? Why not step out of death into life? And for the rest of us, maybe God's calling you to make a decision to do all you can to call people to come forth. That's what you're doing when you share the gospel. Come forth. You'll come to life. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what you're doing when you send money to missions. That's what you're doing through Operation Christmas Child. We're getting an invitation to come forth. Maybe you need to make a commitment between you and God today to do more to share your faith, to do more to support missions, to do more to support Operation Christmas Child. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And whatever He tells you to do, guys, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to be obedient to. If you need to come, we invite you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.